This is the Scots Bass Lessons Podcast and I am your host, Scott Devine. This podcast is brought to you by the Scots Bass Lessons Academy, the number one online learning platform for bass players that want to take their bass playing to the next level. Hey, how's it going? Scotty from Scots Bass Lessons and welcome to episode five of the Scots Bass Lessons Podcast. How are you all doing this week? I've just got off holiday with the family, had a great time away. Unfortunately, I did catch the mother load of all viruses on the last day, so I'm kind of suffering through that now. I'm feeling really, really grotty at the minute, so hopefully I'll get rid of it for Christmas and I'll be able to get stuck into all the, you know, all the good stuff, the food and the drink and, and everything else. Um, I'm also super excited, guys. I've got to tell you that I'm a huge Star Wars fan, like huge Star Wars fan, and obviously... This week, or when will you be listening to this? So you're listening to this on Monday. Um, the Force Awakens was a really... Okay, so it was released only like a few days ago. I haven't seen it yet. I'm hoping to go down actually today. I was even considering putting the, putting the kids to bed. And I know my wife is... She's got a busy day tomorrow. So she's going to be going to bed early. And and there's a cinema near our place that's that's got a, a quarter to 12, quarter to midnight showing. I was thinking about sneaking down. So after everybody's gone to bed, I'm going to sneak out of the house for some... Uh, serious star wars action anyway guys well thanks for listening anyway you know hopefully you're enjoying these podcasts and um, today we're speaking to warren hewitt so warren hewitt is a great friend of mine um he's a top la producer engineer songwriter type and he's worked with the lights of aerosmith daniel powter james blunt and a host of other artists as well and he's just one of the most talented producers that I've ever worked with really because he's not only fantastic behind the desk and fantastic at songwriting he's also a great musician as well he's a fantastic guitar player and in this episode he really because I know what you're thinking you're thinking he's not a bass player I'm not sure whether this episode's for me trust me we really really get into the nitty-gritty because in fact, in a future episode, I talk with Sean Hurley, who's played with John Mayer and Alicia Keys and tons of film dates and things like that. And when I was speaking to Sean, he dropped a bombshell. He said, Scott, he said, honestly, most of the gigs that I've got up until, you know, to date, I've actually got them through the recommendations of engineers and producers. If you think about it, where are the record companies going to go? Where are the artists going to go? Where are the tour management companies going to go when they're looking for a bass player? They're probably going to go to the producers because the producers and the engineers work with, you know, many musicians and, you know, they've just got, they're the right guys to ask. So the information that Warren shares in this episode is just absolutely crucial if you're interested in you know becoming a session musician or or doing that thing or even if you're interested in interested in you know how it works and and how someone might get involved in that scene this is going to be a great episode for you we talk about the gear that warren would prefer bass players to turn up with um we talk about why he'd recommend somebody we talk about why he wouldn't recommend somebody um, and everything in between, really. It's a really, really great interview. And one of the, when I was over in LA doing these, these interviews, 
I really came away from this thing, this interview thinking, wow, there's, there was just such a lot of great information shared there. Because Warren's really on it as well. He's super motivated and and he's just, you know, he's really made a great life for himself just through dedication, hard work and, and just really knuckling down and doing it. And I think it can be really inspiring listening to somebody like Warren because essentially we can do, we can do, everybody can do that. You know, everybody can knuckle down and make, and make things happen. And actually Warren says in this interview, he said, you know, there's no such thing as good luck. And don't get me wrong. I know sometimes the stars align and you're in the right place at the right time, but that's when you're kind of waiting for luck. Sometimes you've just got to make your own look happen. And I'm, I'm a really tr- a big believer in that myself. Now, if you listen to this on iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud or any of the podcasting platforms, make sure you shoot over to scottsbassessons.com forward slash episode five, because there's some cool show notes there for you where I give you some bullets of what we're talking about. And I'll put some videos up for you as well, showing you some of Warren's stuff. Also, if you haven't checked out the Academy yet over at Scott's Bass Essence, shoot over to scottsbassessence.com and check it out. In a nutshell, it's the best online learning platform for bass education in the world. The step-by-step courses, live seminars every week, the largest online bass educational community, and heaps and heaps more. In fact, in the course library, Warren himself has actually done a course on recording your bass. If you get to the end of this podcast... Um, this podcast episode and you and you're really inspired and you want to learn more about recording yourself um, check out the academy because Warren's put a full um, a full course in there and and you get a 14-day trial anyway so it's a 14-day free trial so you can take out the entire academy for a test drive see it's for you and and hopefully it will be and hopefully I'll see you in there now without further ado let's get into episode five with Warren Hewitt. Hey, how you doing? Scott here from Scott Space Essence, and I am lucky enough to be with Warren Hewitt here in Spitfire Studios in his home. Well, not in his home, but in his facility, we'll call it. Facility. Facility. Yes. Yeah. And Warren is a producer, a songwriter, engineer, and you also um, the man behind Produce Like a Pro, which is an epic YouTube channel talking all about engineering and um, mixing and even arranging songs, which I'm loving those arranging songs that you're doing. Marvel. So if you haven't checked out his channel, do so. I will put a link below this video. He's worked with guys such as Aerosmith, Daniel Powter, The Fray and James Blunt and a zillion independent artists as well. And Warren has worked with some of the best bass players on the scene here in LA. He's worked with Sean Hurley, who we were hanging out with yesterday. Absolutely. And the day before. And the day before. Been a lot of kebabs going on over the last few days. There's been a lot of kebabs. Is there a lot of kebabs in your life, Warren, or is it just I think so. I think I'm going to buy shares in Roro's, which is next door to Sunset Sound. Super tasty. Super tasty. Anyway, so we've been hanging out with Sean Hurley. You work with guys like Dan Rothschild, Chris Chaney, John Button, Billy Sheehan, and many more. So you've got... A lot of experience, obviously, yeah. working with musicians, but bass players as well, which yeah. we're going to get into today. But before we get into that, um, can you tell us a bit about the backstory that led you to work with guys such as this? Well, as you know, it's a funny story. It's it an is. interesting story. Because yeah. when I was 16, uh, my parents, I grew up in a little village just outside London, my parents decided to retire, take yeah. an early retirement, and move to Cornwall, which, of course, is you know very lovely and rural and beautiful. And yeah, yeah, yeah. All that kind of lovely stuff, but I wasn't up for that. So I actually moved to, of all places, Carlisle in Cumbria. Which is where I'm from. Born, born and bred. And, uh, and lots of people around in this yeah, room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I went up there and um, 
I lived in uh, the red line in the bedsit. Because I remember I got out of on Carlisle. Botchigate. On Botchigate. Yeah. I got out of the train station. I looked opposite. And it's just like, bedsits for rent. And I was like, there you go. I found somewhere to live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I think it was £40 a week. Maybe it was less. £40 a month? Yeah, it was probably forty pound a yeah, month. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, it was cheap. The good old days. Eh? The good old days. It's probably not that. So, much for anybody more. in the states, that's probably sixty dollars a month, right? A month. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is so it was a real tasty apartment. Oh yeah, I mean it was like old hotel rooms turned yeah. into into bedsits, and they they had the the meters in there where you put ten p in, you know. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, so, the, the so if you didn't have any money, you didn't have any electricity. Meters, yeah. So yeah. For anybody that doesn't know. I don't know if did they have anything like this in the states where you have these little probably, but not that I know of. But I'm sure. Yes. Yeah, so if you, these small places, apartments, they're called bedsits in the UK, and they generally have a. I don't even know if they do them anymore, but they've got a tiny little meter on the yep. wall that you put money in. Yeah. And this can run out at any time. Any time. At any time. Generally, you know, the worst of times will it'll right. run out and you just get stuck with no electricity, yep. no money in the middle of the night. Yep. Yeah. So, especially living in Carlisle, which the winters are pretty brutal. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's pretty gnarly. Yeah. North of England, freezing cold, and we, there was no gas heating. It was all electricity. So, yeah, there was plenty of times where I was just like shivering up. Yeah, yeah. But to cut a long story short, underneath on Botchergate was Northern Sounds. So I would come down in the morning and walk around the corner onto Botchergate. And go into Northern Sounds and Nick Rimmer, a keyboard player. Northern was, Sounds was a music shop. It was a music shop, yeah, sorry. It was this great music shop, music store to the Americans. Right, okay, yeah. And, uh, and uh, Nick Rimmer, who's, we could have a whole hour conversation about him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a character, but it's weird. I'm going to go on a tangent for a second because I think this is important. Nick was probably, I was probably 16 slash 17, and he was probably 21, 22, managing the store. So yeah, he was like the yeah. older guy, you know? Yeah. And I remember going in there. The older guy. The older guy. And he would put on, like, Al Jarreau. He was really into, like, funk and jazz yeah. funk and stuff. And he would, like, play along with it by ear. Yeah. He was a keys player, wasn't he? Yeah. And he's a great keys player. And he would sing the melodies and he would sing the solos and stuff. And I just remember thinking, wow, this guy is amazingly talented. But in the back of my mind, I was just thinking to myself, but probably in L.A., there's probably a hundred guys like him. You know what? Yeah. There isn't. Yeah, yeah. We just don't know. You don't know. And it's, if we're going to talk about stuff, and I try to talk about this stuff in my series, and I know you do too, yeah. I like to encourage people because guys like us, if we hadn't taken this step and you hadn't like helped your own career by having your own YouTube channel yeah, yeah. and I hadn't like moved to LA, we wouldn't know. Like a guy like Nick, God bless him, hopefully he watches this or maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> if Nick at 21 years old had decided to jump on a plane and come to and Los come, Angeles, yeah. he would have cleaned up. Because he, he was an incredible musician with an amazing ear, and he was only 21 or 22 years old. And so I think it's what's the great thing about the good old interwebs, what's the great thing about the internet and YouTube, is it's a great leveler. So you can have some kids sitting in, I don't know, Karachi at the moment, like on your site, learning some bass lines, yeah. you know, and s stealing tricks from you and then putting on records and learning stuff. And if he puts a video up and he's a phenomenal player, who knows? Maybe it will go viral. Maybe somebody will see this 17-year-old kid playing along with, you know, Come On, Come Over by Jacko or something. Yeah, like I think, you know, on YouTube especially, you've seen these really talented players from all of it. They just seem to be getting younger and younger as well. Damn. I know. <laughs> I know. But, yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. And I think what you were saying about Nick as well is that 
it's so easy to think that there's a, this, you know, a, a special universe where only the talented people live. But yeah. it's some people, a lot of people sell themselves short a lot of oh, the yeah. time and really don't take the opportunity because they get maybe fear or, sure. you know, self-doubt holding them back. And sometimes they should just sort of like push themselves forward and, yeah. and take that leap of faith. Did you take the leap of faith? I did. I mean, I got, I'm not going to say lucky because I don't believe in luck. I think you make it. Because obviously luck. you're in L.A., yeah, I'm in LA. with some really great artists. Yeah, for me, for me, I came, I stayed, basically I had two wonderful years in Carlisle touring. Yeah. And what I did is I played, I'm sure like you did, played every working men's club, yeah. every bar, every pub, in Carlisle, in Workington, in Penrith, in Dumfries, over to Newcastle, yeah. you know, down Lancaster, you name it, everywhere. And did every single place you can think of. And you knew Workington, that's a, oh, that's a, a fun place to play. It's a hotspot. Oh, yeah. I remember playing a show with Elaine and Dave, Elaine and Dotty, and these kids were outside trying to tip our van over. Oh, fantastic. And we were in the, we were in, we were in the dressing room looking out the window, seeing the van going, rock, rock, <laughs> rock, and going, please don't tip it yeah, over, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then playing shows and just playing away and then fights breaking out in front of you. Yeah. So you were much like a player at that point. Had you been going into sort of like producing at any point, songwriting or anything like that? No, I mean, I was writing song ideas like like everybody. Yeah. I, I basically, and this is the big crutch and the big uh, thing for me, is that I was a great rhythm guitar player. I'll be honest, I really loved playing funk, and I was like, you know, I grew up on rock and roll stuff, mm. but when I discovered funk, with a lot of help from, from Nick, I was like, oh, wow, I can do this. I can play funk, and I had a great time. But I remember I joined the band, uh, Elaine and David's band, and um, David's like, yeah, we're going to do uh, um, a Bob Seger track, and uh, there's a section for a guitar solo. And I'm like, guitar solo? <laughs> <laughs> and it comes out, he goes, you can't play a guitar solo. I was like, oh, yeah, sure, yeah, I can play guitar solo. I come to the guitar solo, I'm like, bo de 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 Playing my one really bad Chuck Berry riff. And he's just like, you suck. Yeah, yeah. You're a terrible lead guitar player. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And he's like, yeah, you are. And he just was basically like, he was like, you play rhythm, you're great. You can't play a solo to save your life. And he just gave me Ollie, Ollie Alcock's number and said, yeah. Call Ollie. Go get fixed. And Ollie's kind of the, the guitar teacher in, in, in Carlisle. In Carlisle. And is still now, you know, he's been the, the guy to go to for years. I, think, I, w- I want to say it was four pounds an hour. Yeah. It definitely wasn't I more than seven. I remember getting guitar lessons and, and my dad used to pay the guy that I used to go to I got Joe Bashusko. So he, he might even be listening to this because I'm friends with him on Facebook still. Right. And uh, we used to pay him a pack of cigarettes. That's how much the guitar lesson was. Wow. Yeah. I think Ollie was four pounds. Yeah. It's a part of me that thinks he may have been three at first and went up to four. <laughs> yeah. He knew you were hard work, so he yeah. added an extra pound. Yeah. I mean, we used to go and play gigs and make yeah. 20, 20 pounds. I think Ollie still teaches now. No, he still teaches. He's probably charging 15, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, so... You know, we were making forty pound a week on a good week. Yeah, you know, doing two or three shows, maybe making. I mean, we did shows where we get seventy pounds for the whole band. Did Ollie sort you out? Oh god, I mean, he was phenomenal because he's he's the thing about Ollie. Obviously, he's an inspirational player. He's an amazing player. You know, so it's always inspiring. Like people tune into you because they see you play and they want to be. I want to learn from Scott because I want to be good like him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, that's the number one thing that draws yeah, people yeah. in I want to play like him he's good at communicating yep. the, you know, yep. the issues that they're struggling with but then yeah. it's the mentorship thing after that that's yeah. like the big thing and it's like the thing that Ollie did and I'm sure people get from you is taste yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. If there's one thing, even though I can still play every lick he ever taught me, and they're still the licks that are the best strength, hand strengthening exercises, everything he ever showed me, yeah. I still use. It's funny because I use it and I watch him play. I'm like, you're not even using the things you showed me. Come on. <laughs> like he's got older and mellower and got more bluesy and got because he used to be just like Holdsworth and shred up and down the neck. Yeah, yeah. Now he's all about feel, and I get it. You get older and you just want to play three notes that sound beautiful as opposed yeah, yeah. to. 1500. I'm still in the 1100 phase. I'm halfway between the two. <laughs> um, but the thing about Ollie is, I'm like 16, 17 years old, and he's like, Oh, yeah, okay, who do you like? And I'm like, Well, I like Queen, Brian May. He's like, Brian May's amazing. One of the best guitar players in the world. Love him. Great melody player. What do you think of Jeff Beck? I'm like, Jeff who? And yeah. he's like, Okay, here's Blow by Blow. Go and listen to Blow by yeah, Blow. I listen to blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what is this music? And he's like, okay, this is how you play Cosmos and his Lovers. And we sat there and learned how to play Cosmos and his yeah. Lovers. First guitar solo I ever learned, note for note. And Phil and Chen is on that record. The bass is Phil Chen. We, we, we should be hooking up with by tomorrow, actually. Oh, he's amazing. He's very cool. Anyway, carry on. No, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Watch yeah. that one, everybody. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so he shows me Jeff Beck. And then he teaches me, and not only does he teach me how to play the solo, he teaches me how to listen to music yeah, to yeah. learn how to yeah, do okay, stuff. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like a whole mentorship. It's not it's, just, yeah, it's not just the guitar, it's how music's constructed. and yeah. yeah, and then he's like, okay, cool, so Jeff Beck does these incredible bands and stuff, and that's great, and he's like, and he's very critical in a really good way, and he's like, yeah, you know, at that point he had the best vibrato of any player. Now he's like, but now he uses his tremolo, which is okay. He doesn't have the finger vibrato of, say, Paul Kossoff. And okay, then he's right, like, yeah, okay, yeah. Fire and Water. Here's Fire and Water. Yeah. Now learn this. And he's like, listen to Paul Kossoff vibrato and how controlled it is. And then he says, this is how you do vibrato. You have to have a fulcrum. It's got to come from you. It's like, it was like a freaking lifestyle. And how long did you study with Ollie for? I mean, 18 months probably. It changed your life, yeah? Completely changed my life. Yeah, yeah. Just turned me into a musician. And then, you know, and then he'd be like, okay, you need to be fluid. Go and listen to Alan Holdsworth. Hear the legato. Yeah. yeah now you yeah. need to learn how to pick properly. Listen to Adam Miola. Yeah. I mean, literally, that could be the end of the conversation. Like, we took a kid now. We go, okay, right-hand picking, Aldo Miola. Best right-hand picker in the world. Yeah. Okay, you want to get your legato? Go and listen to Alan Holdsworth. You want to use the vibrato? Go and listen to Kossoff with that slow, beautiful vibrato and get proper right, left-hand technique. So from what you're saying, essentially, you learn by listening to guys and then emulating, right? Yeah. Like, a lot of people will be watching this and, you know, they say, so how do I get, you know, whatever, if it's guitar or bass, how do I get to the next level, you know? Right. And it's one thing I talk about is emulating others, you know. Yeah. And don't be too scared about sounding like them because you're not going to be sound Never like them. Never going to sound like Even them. if you damn well try to sound like them. Especially you're sound, you know. if you do the Scott Ollie method where you take four or five of the best in their field and combine them. Yeah, because then you then become, become you. You know, they become you. It's an amalgamation of your influences. Yeah. So how the heck did you end up in L.A.? Well, that's, so, that I'm, so I'm there for a couple of years, I'm touring, <laughs> and I'm, I'm on fire, I'm like 18, 19, I move back down south, and I think, okay, so I start doing all the auditions in London. Yeah. I mean, that Is was... It, you're the, okay, I'm going to be a pro musician. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you remember the old, you get the back of the melody yeah, maker, yeah, yeah. All they'd the have all the gigs yeah, in there, yeah. they probably still do it, and NME is still left, isn't it? They probably still do it to a certain extent, and I just did cold call auditions. I remember going to Generation X had just broken up. So old I am. Yeah. I'd just broken up and Billy Idol was in America being a solo star and they had the band. And I remember I auditioned for them. I went to multiple auditions. I never actually played for them. Right, okay. For real. It was all about how did I look? How did I look? All that kind of stuff. You look cool, you've got it or you haven't. Yeah. And I did loads of auditions. I got offered a couple of gigs that I didn't want to do and I didn't get offered the ones that I really wanted. Right. And I got a little depressed, to be honest. So then just from the actual 
the whole process. The grind of it, yeah. Yeah, the grind of it. So then what I ended up doing was basically um, just playing in local bands, doing the local thing, writing songs, doing stuff. And, and I coasted along for like three or four years. I mean, I literally had two massively incredible influential years in Carlisle, which yeah. completely, probably like 20 years worth of information condensed into two years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I had three or four years of aimlessness down south. And it's very competitive down there, and there's a lot of egos and business involved. It's very different from the flourishing. The thing about the north in general is, you know, there's exceptions to the south. My favorite band, Queen, are all from the south. I get it. Yeah. You know, somebody, Charlie Gillett, made this point about this in The Sound of the City, that 75% of all the great bands in England come from the north of England. And the reason is, is there's not a lot to do there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's less, yeah. It's not yeah, like yeah. you're in the north of London, like, I don't know, should I play a show tonight? Or should I go out to this the new club? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Or go to the Royal Albert Yeah, or, or whatever. whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, go to this cool, fun pub and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. You know what it's like in Carlisle. You're either playing in a band, having fun, trying to meet I girls, think, I think there was, or getting there was drunk. sort of, you know... I think there was the, uh, back in the day, right. especially, you know, like Sheffield was like an industrial town. I think sure. those industrial towns had a certain feeling. Yeah, Judas them. Priest, Sheffield. Yeah, well, there's Pulp and, you know, there's yeah. a zillion bands came out of Sheffield. And Def, Def, Birmingham. Def Leppard and Birmingham. Yeah, yeah. Birmingham Aussie. Yeah, so I think, you know, there was Sabbath. definitely a feel back then with, there probably wasn't a lot to do. No, know, there wasn't in, much to in, do. In these industrial towns. And nothing to escape. It was like... yeah. You know, uh, well, the, I think the reason the the way to escape was possibly get, you know create yeah. a great band and get out there, get, create a great band and yeah. get out there and tour the world. Yeah, come over to America and make a lot of money. How did you end up in America? Well, basically, I I so you're down in London. Yeah. yeah, I fussed around. I was doing. I picked up started pick up sessions. One of the biggest things that happened for me, probably the biggest thing that happened for me, is I reconnected with some old friends. When I was a little kid, one of the guys um, that I went to Sunday school with actually he was a guy called Patch Hannon, Patrick Hannon, and. He, in the intervening years, had joined a band called The Sundays. And so he was playing drums for The Sundays and sort of, I suppose, became like a, a rock star. Yeah. You know? And he had started this other band through a girl he'd met in The Melody Maker. And, uh, and they had a big kind of management deal and they were looking to get a record deal. And they couldn't find, believe it or not, a bass player. You joined as a bass player. I joined as a bass player. See, there you go, guys. Come on. <laughs> well, the thing, is, the thing is about being a bass player. First of all, all joking aside, the bass player is like one of the most important jobs because you got you're, you're the link between guitars and vocals and drums. Yeah, you've got to play you're the glue, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're the glue. You've got to play rhythm, melody, and harmony. Yeah. You know, you've got to do it all. You have to do even harmony these days. It's not just like, you know. Yeah, you've got to know your harmony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you've really got to, yeah, I mean, obviously, if you're playing Nirvana and just doing the roots, that's cool and, and all that kind of stuff. But there's a, there's a big job of a bass player to glue the whole thing together. But in those days, in the mid-90s, nobody wanted to be a bass player. Everybody wanted to be, and probably still do, yeah. the guy going. A super important role in the band. Yeah. And not that many of them. Not that many of them. Yeah, it was like. Yeah. 20 to 1 ratio of the guitar players. Yeah. But I will tell you, bass players watching this, I remember, so I get in this band and we do our first show at the Mean Fiddler. And, oh, right, yeah, yeah. And I had yeah. met this incredibly hot American um, model chick like a few days before. Yeah. So I'm trying to impress her because I've never seen anything like this in my life. So I was like, come to the show. So she comes to the show and I'm playing bass. There's like eight people that are at the Mean Fiddler. Yeah. Our manager and, you know, the bar staff and <laughs> two other people. The you man know. and the dog. Yeah, the man and the dog. Did the dog pay to get in? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember that? Bad news. Um, anyway, so, and uh, 
I remember, you know, I'm playing, rocking out, and the guitar player's rocking out. But he's kind of like a little stagnant. He's, he's kind of, he, he's got too many pedals and he looks kind of bored on stage. Yeah, yeah. So we get off and I go, what do you think? And she's like, wow, you were great. I really loved you. But why do you have, you play guitar. Why do you have the other guitar player? So I had to explain to her, no, I'm playing the bass <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's playing the guitar. <laughs> but the lesson is, guys, the point, or guys and girls, is like most people don't actually know the difference. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when you're all worried about being the guy that does the flashy thing, it's only really the musicians that notice, you know, everybody's like, yeah, Jimmy Page. But for most of the audience, they were looking at Jimmy Page and John Paul Jones. Yeah, yeah. They weren't just going, oh, it's Jimmy Page and Robert Plant. That was all kind of the hype and musicians. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was this hot girl and she didn't give a crap that there was a guitar player. He wasn't doing much. So why'd you need him? <laughs> He's just standing there looking Can bored. You just get one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you already played the guitar. You play guitar. No, I'm yeah, playing the bass. Yeah, yeah, what do you yeah, mean? Yeah. What's that? So it's, it was it, it was a nice lesson. And the great thing about playing bass live, as you know, with, with a few exceptions, most of the time you go up to your amp and you plug in and start playing. And as a guitar player, you come in and you wheel out your guitar case, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, and yeah. you bring out all your pedals everywhere and you have to plug everything in and there's always a cable that's down and, oh, my God. And, yeah, yeah. and you know, and I've got eight different guitars for different songs. I need my 12-string <laughs> yeah, and yeah. this one's got a piezo for the acoustic simulation. And, and you're basically doing this, even at, yeah. a, cr even at a crappy bar gig. You've got three guitars and 18 and pedals and maybe yeah. even two amps yeah, and switching yeah. units. And the bass player just plugs in and starts... <laughs> and he's jumping around checking out the girls and the guitar player's doing footsie, trying to get all this shit together. So, you know, there's something yeah. to be said to being a bass player. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what did the... Uh, did the did, it, did this girl have anything to do with you moving to America? No, nah, nothing No, nothing. Oh, I thought that was the link. I thought that was the link. No, but the, but the singer in the band was a girl. And so... This is where it gets even crazier. I don't know if Lawrence, who's sitting over out the corner, knows this one. Do you know this part of the story? So the girl, who's the girl singer in the band, okay. with my friend Patch from the Sundays, yeah. is married. Guess who she's married to? Who? Francis Dunnery. Really? Wow. Okay, so Francis Dunnery, guys, is the uh, singer-guitar player from Status Quo. No, no, Francis Dunnery. Francis Dunnery. From It Bites. From Egremont. From Egremont. Who I saw play at the Stars and Stripes when I was 16 years old. One of my Before they got he's signed. one of my favourite guitar players. So he's from frickin' Cumbria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. there I am. My whole thing, being from Cumbria, being, you know, going not to Cumbria, Francis living. Rossi. No, not Francis Rossi. <laughs> but Francis Dunnery. Frank Dunnery, so, yeah. So, I, so Frank Dunnery, I go down. Yeah, sorry, I call him Frank. I go down to Stars and Stripes with Nick like one night and we see it Bites play before they even put out an album and they were the local heroes yeah. wow. and they're from Egremont yeah, yeah, and so yeah, yeah. here I am like 27 it's now 9, 10 years later and everything clicks back again because of Cumbria and because of this guy that I'd seen play <laughs> yeah, and yeah, it's his yeah. leading wife that I'm playing in a band with and I'm just like wait there and then like and then I become friends with um, Francis' sister is married to Dave McCracken David oh, right. yeah, 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 yeah. Cumbria as well. And it's like, it's just the weirdest thing. And I'm just like, this is some kind of weird kind of intervention with the whole Cumbria connection. Because Frank was like the local guy. I mean, he was like the best guitar player. Like, Frank knows Ollie. Yeah, Ollie he knows was Frank. One of the best guitar players in the UK. Yeah. You know, arguably, you know. But you got like Ollie yeah, and Frank yeah. know each other. And I think he yeah. had taught, you know, it's like pretty crazy. And his whole thing was Alan Holdsworth, Legato. Yeah. And he ended up in LA, didn't he? He ended he? up yeah. in LA, yeah. yeah, yeah. By is that he, point, he was he, back yeah. in London. No, he's, he's he's back in England, um, and I think he still plays Robert Plant. I mean, he's, he was when I when I met him, he was he had, it bites had been broken up for about ten years, and he was playing with Robert Plant. 
Right. Wow. Well, probably about six years then. Yeah. Yeah, he was playing with Robert Plant and uh, he'd already toured and done tons of stuff with Robert. And I remember just being in like their apartment. This is a crazy story. I, uh, you can keep this in or edit it out, but it's just a crazy story. I remember, I know when it happened because it was when the Page Plant thing came together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I go to their, their flat in London, which is a beautiful flat, of course, and I go in and I look at the mantelpiece and there's a pair of tickets for Page Plant. I mean, it's just got to be the hottest tickets probably for the last hundred years in wow. music. Yeah, yeah, You know what I mean? It's like they're all getting back together, you know, surviving members, yeah. and they're playing, and it got MTV televised. And they were unused. What? Because they had done two nights. And this is the first time I'd gone to the, their flat, and it was the day after the second show, and they were, the, they were like, oh, we couldn't go <laughs> the second night. We went the first night, but we couldn't go last night. Or so, we, so we just left them. So we couldn't get out. And oh, I should have. And I'm just like <laughs> weeping, <laughs> weeping. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I had to play it cool, like oh yeah, you know. So why did they end up in LA? Um, the band. So that the, band. The band did they, they tour over here? Well, it was. It, we did an album. We did an album. Um, okay, we we did two singles in England, and one of the singles um, did pretty well. I think it got to like the lower reaches of the charts, started to do some stuff. Yeah. It's back in the days of the Melody Maker and Enemy. We got stories and, you know, a bit of a buzz and things were going well. We got, we got Drive Time Radio 1, which in those days was a big deal. Yeah. Like 16 million people listened to you between five and seven. So we sold some songs. I mean, now I think about it, it'd be considered massive considering the sales. But in those days, yeah, it was, yeah, it was yeah, modest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we yeah, did yeah. modestly well. Yeah, yeah. But now it would be considered big. Um, and then we played Reading Rock Festival. Um, I think the year, the first year Foo Fighters played, we, we played earlier in the same day on the same stage. You know, so th- it was happening. It was happening. Yeah, yeah. And we were getting a, bu- we were getting a buzz going. Um, but the logical step, because we were doing like indie guitar rock in the mid nineties, was to come to America where the market was huge. Where the market was huge, yeah. So we did our album over here with Don Smith. Straight to LA, yeah. Straight to LA. Yeah. So we come over, we, we worked with Don Smith who had done, uh, all the Tom Petty records through the 80s and 90s. He'd done Last Dance with Mary Jane, all that stuff. Yeah. He'd done uh, Keith Richards' solo records like Main Offender <clears throat> and the expensive Winos albums, and just wonderful stuff. The main reason why I love the idea of working with him is he'd just done that album with that band Cracker. Remember that song, Low? Yeah. Feel like getting low. Yeah, yeah. And what I'd read, I'd read in like Mix or Sound on Sound, one of those magazines that they had just wheeled in a 24-track machine and done it in a barn somewhere. Okay. And I just remember thinking, the album sounds great, everything this guy does great, and he's kind of a little, I don't know if the word is punk rock, but he's a little, the thing is I don't consider myself to be like, um, you know, all the beginnings are pretty freaking humble. You know, I grew up in a two-bedroom house with five of us, you know, yeah. and, and I've got a nice accent because I grew up in a nice part of, the of world the UK, yeah, of the UK, yeah. but as you and I know, I, I grew up with zero money. Yeah, so, yeah. so I, 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 it's weird when I went to the North of England, I'm like, I'm home. It's like, it, <laughs> it made more sense to me than where I grew up. Cause I grew yeah. up in a very wealthy area surrounded by much wealthier people than me, but with no money. Yeah. Sorry, parents, if you're watching this, um, you know, but my dad's, he's a painter, he's an artist. So yeah. like a musician, he's like, he's like a, you know, uh, he's like a drummer. <laughs> I'm just joking drummers um, but you know so we grew up you know we grew up like very modest and um, and so what I liked about that kind of philosophy when I read it I was like oh this is I'm going to identify with this guy because it's just kind of like how can we just make this happen yeah yeah you know um, self-made kind of way of doing stuff that makes far more sense to me than than, than you know have you seen that Will Ferrell movie where his, his, his father-in-law it's recent like a year ago Hard again, it's called, or get get hard. Yes, 
Have you yeah. seen it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you yeah. remember when he goes to his father-in-law and his father-in-law's like, has a picture of the computer? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I just keep this as a humble reminder of, of my humble humble start. And they're like... You've got to check these guys out if you haven't. It's, it's real they're, like, they're both Will Ferrell and the guy's like, just starting to cry and he walks up to the window and he leans on the window frame. He goes, yeah, just me, that computer and that $7 million investment my father gave me. <laughs> You've got to check it out. It's super cool. But it's just like that is kind of like most of the people, I, I'm sure you feel the same way, most of the people I come up against in, 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 that have got businesses and stuff they're doing, it's that they've, they've like, you know, oh, I want to try this out. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 sure, sure. I've got money. I want to, I want to have a studio, so I'll buy all this stuff. You know, well, I, I bought all this stuff by working I was going to say, like, when, hard yeah, for like, it. So you were in L.A. working in the band and stuff like yeah. that. Did you go back to the U.K.? and Like, when did this happen? Well, I was always the annoying... I always tell people this, and it's the truth. I was always a really annoying guy in the band. You were the one that sort of like really... How'd you do that? Like, what's that? Yeah, what's yeah, that? What do you mean? Yeah. What, what is that? A pole? What? Pole tech? What's that? That's yeah. a kind of EQ. Why, why is it good? It's only got two big knobs, and why not use this? And blah, blah, blah. And after most albums, the engineer's looking at me like... You know, yeah, just like, yeah, yeah. I'm driving them my, nuts. Get out of my face. <laughs> I'm driving them nuts, but... And there's guys that do that to me now, but I have a soft spot for it, because I'm like, you know, I, I get it. They want to they wanna know. And it's like... And the reason that, and the reason why I like doing the YouTube channel is because I like breaking down all those barriers. Yeah, yeah. Because you know I have guys, and I'm not going to knock certain ways of education because this education is really important. Hence why we do these pages. Of course, yeah. But some of the traditional ways are really good when combined with outside sources. Like I would never think anybody in the entertainment business in general should singly go to a school. Just learn at school, get out, and expect to get a really successful job. Yeah. You need to, if you're going to go to school, I applaud it. If my kids want to go to music school or film school or whatever art school, great. But make sure you're doing shit on the side. If you're yeah, at, yeah. if you're at film school, be making movies on the side. Don't just go to film school, get out, and go. Okay, I'm going to be a director. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. So don't go to music school or uh, recording school and expect that you're going to get spat yeah. out at the the, yeah. the full thing at the end of the, yeah. the course. Yeah. Take yeah. your information. So what I love about what we do, honestly, and the reason why, primary reason why I was attracted to it, is I kind of I want to give that information away because I had to claw to get it. Yeah. You know, there wasn't anybody going, hey, let me help you. Is it, would, you would you say that you've been a slow burn, more sort of like, you know, yeah. just steady, 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 Very consistent, 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 and yeah. just over the consistency of, like, hard work? Because if, I know, like, Warren personally, obviously, um, Warren works like a beast, you know, got, like I mean, in, insane work ethic, you know, and really yeah. I imagine that goes into every aspect of what you've done, your engineering and your guitar playing and your songwriting and, where, you know, the full package, you've always worked really hard at it. And we were, we were hanging out with Ricky Miner yesterday and I asked him, what's the one thing, if he had to, you know, put it down to one thing that, that it, you know, that he was successful for, what was it? And he said work ethic, you know, just working really sure. damn hard. Same for you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And also, and this is probably the primary thing, I'm still learning. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I still absorbing everything. Yeah, I'm still know. absorbing. Not shit off to the things around you. No, and uh, I, I tell people all the time I still do ear training exercises. It's You've one, got the app, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got the app. It's yeah. still like, and to be honest, I've used them all. And people ask me which one to use. I just go go to ear training ones. Download the free ones first yeah, of all. Yeah, yeah. They're all good. Rinse them all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. just try them out and see which one clicks with you because everybody's brain's a little different. I was on YouTube the other day and there's a uh, I like this guy was showing a technique that I thought was really good for anybody who's got a keyboard. 
where you play a bass, a note like a C, and you play the C sharp, play them together, and then sing the intervals okay. separately. So you go da da. So you play them together, and then try and identify and sing the notes. To, so you go 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 down go. So, so they're so ringing it's like together. A cluster, yeah, yeah. And so then you, sing the yeah, two yeah, notes, and then sing the two notes. And it was amazing. It really sharpened my ear up. You know, and and even guys, I know guys and I, real guys with a perfect pitch. Be good to yourself and cut yourself some slack because even the guys I know with good, with perfect pitch, when they're tired and uh, they don't hear properly. Yeah, and having perfect pitch, it's kind of sort of, in a little way, it's a mirage. It's good to have and it's good sometimes a hindrance for them. But, yeah. but it doesn't mean that you're going to be a good player. I've known guys with perfect pitch that have been great players and I've known guys with perfect pitch that have been utterly crap players as well. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it doesn't mean it's just, you know, it's just they, their brain works in a little bit of a different way. Sure. I think one of your lessons you were talking about chord sequences and stuff. Yeah. It's like, you know, there's like 6415 or 1564 or, or um, 1645, you know, there's like these chord sequences that just, damn, I mean, like, you're doing this for 10 years, you, you, you listen to the first. 20 seconds of a song and you know what's happened you, need, you need to be able to hear the actual chord yeah. movements what, you, what do you look for in a bass player when you're hiring one you've got a session right you get a call you need to put a band together to do the session what and, and I'll come, into, I'll come on to sort of like which bass players we use but what, what are you looking for in a bass player when, um, when you hire them well I think these e- days ears yeah you know. no these days these days um, I have a core maybe four to six Four to six people that I would always hire. Yeah, and what it, what is it about those guys? Well, it's it, it's usually a combination of things. Like if I call like Sean first, Sean Hurley first. Yeah. The reason why I'm calling him is because he's a great bass player. Yeah. But he's a really cool, very easy to hang out with guy. Great sense of humor. Number one, great sense of humor. Can be quiet when he needs to be quiet. Can be part of the hang when he needs to be part of the hang. Just. Fits in really, really well. Socially aware, right? Yeah, very socially aware, very aware of how a session's going and when to be positive and when to stay out and when to be involved. Yeah. Which is massively important. Yeah, huge, yeah. Um, he then comes... I've never actually heard Sean play anything more than eighth notes in my life. I don't know if... I've, maybe once or twice on a song he's gone... Da, 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 da. Yeah, 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 yeah. Most of the time he's rooting it, he's... His tone is incessantly consistent. It's insane how much it's just ball. It just hits the same every time. Yeah, it's just solid. You barely have to compress him. Yeah, it just goes down. Yesterday, <coughs> tracking with him, I probably should have compressed the amp more because we're using a five string, and there's just something about five strings that you just need to work a little harder. Yeah, so when you're hitting low Bs, they they have a world of their own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, I mean, he has a Music Man five string, which of course is a fantastic bass. But even whenever he hit that low note, like it was. Things were blowing it's still up. Opened up yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but in general, his technique is really consistent. But I would say the see the thing is, it's almost like a prerequisite when you're dealing with that level of player that they all deliver similar kind of things, and then other things become more important beyond the time. So they're all decent players. Yeah, they're all great players. Um, then two things come into play. Number one, personality, being able to fit into a, in, into a studio situation. And then number two, who they also play with on a regular basis, that, yeah. that would also be somebody I would hire. The last thing I want to do is hire 
Sean and some unknown element of a drummer who may become highly recommended and they've never worked together. That's more, I'd rather hire a drummer I've never used before, but that's done 50 sessions with Sean. With Sean, because they're going to have a feel together, right? Yeah. Yeah. Rather than hiring a drummer I've never used before who's come highly recommended, who Sean and he have never played together. And vice versa. It's to say, I go to Victor and Drizzo first, and I go, Victor, can you do this session? Or Blair Sinter first, can you yeah, do this yeah, session? Yeah. And Blair's like, or Victor's like, one of those two guys is like, yeah, I'm available. Um, oh, great, you know, but Sean's not available. And they're like, yeah, well, you know, blah, 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 is on the road. So-and-so's on the road. So-and-so's on the road. Oh, no, they're all doing big gigs. And so yeah. I get to a new guy, bass player, it's fine. New guy, bass players play with them. I, I get one of their recommendations first before I'd ask anybody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so, you want to get somebody that they feel comfortable with. So I think the lesson is there, and this is very important. I think all musicians, the one thing we have to forget, have to put aside, is our own egos and try not to be competitive with other people. Yeah. Like, be friends with every bass player in your town. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't you're compete get, against the bass players you're going because to get gigs from bass players, you know, yeah. sub gigs. That's yeah. you know, yeah. And be respectful of the situation. You know, um, if you give John the bass player down the street the gig, or you give Lawrence that idiot bass player. <laughs> <laughs> if you give if you give Lawrence the Lawrence the gig, and yeah. then Lawrence, for everybody watching, Lawrence is sat over there, sat over there, yeah. and he's a bass player, and he is a bass player, and he's from Carlisle, and, from and he probably does live down the street. <laughs> If you give Lawrence over there the gig and then somehow or another he just casually badmouths you to the singer and the singer's like, oh, you know, I like this Lawrence guy and you don't get the callback anymore, that isn't going to work. Now, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. Lawrence might have that gig for the rest of his life, but he sure as heck is not going to get many other gigs. Yeah, Sorry to yeah. pick on you. <laughs> but that's just the way of the world. You know, you've, yeah. got to, you've got to be respectful to each other because you might be getting 10 gigs to Lawrence's every one, but if he clings on to that one gig... That's fine. He'll have that one gig. Yeah, and, yeah. But y you could have given him nine other gigs when you weren't available. Yeah. One of my questions down here, actually, I've written down, and it really feeds on from what you've just been talking about, is do you regularly book bass players and drummers that work together? Yeah. 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 And obviously that's a big deal. Right? It's a big deal because they have a have language. Have you got specific bass players and drummers that you just think, well, I need those two guys? Yeah, I think with, with Sean, um, who I've been using a lot for like, the last few years, and... And it evolved because Dan Rothschild for the longest time was my guy. Yeah. And Dan Rothschild um, is like, it makes you happy, Sheryl Crow. One of the greatest bass lines, my favorite bass lines of all time is, is Criminal by um, uh, Fiona Apple. You know, doom. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good doom, 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 doom. Good doom, doom, doom. And that's him. So, oh, really? Yeah, right. so he's got like these signature bass lines. Tone is fantastic. He uses a 72, 73P bass, yeah. which weighs like a small car. I was going to say, heavy as the earth. Yeah, it's like yeah. It's a really heavy bass, but it's like, you know, yeah, it's a total spinal tap. Forever. Listen to the sustain. Yeah, yeah, Go and have yeah. a bite. Come back. It will still be going. Yeah, <laughs> um, You know, it's like the most amazing bass tone and the action's like this and he's, he's a great stand-up bass player. So I used him for years and the only reason why I don't use him as much as I used to is because he's now touring with heart. Right, and it's okay. like a full-time gig, and he's been doing it for the last three or four years. And Sean I'd use a splattering of, and after a while I started falling in love with Sean's playing, Sean's personality, um, and um, he also plays a lot with Victor and Drizzo. And Victor was my main drummer guy for a while. So it totally made sense. Yeah, totally made sense, but he also plays a lot with Blair Center. Yeah. And all that happens is Victor, 
Victor's kind of the movie star drummer, you know, Get Into the Greek. He's the drummer in Get Into Greek. He's yeah. in, he, he's, he does a lot of movie stuff as well, like with um, Lyle Workman, who does okay, yeah, all yeah. of those yeah, scores yeah, yeah. for all those big movies. Yeah. And so he just started to get less available. And then Blair is, is equally as amazing a drummer. And so it wasn't so much that I was booking Blair more, it was that suddenly Sean was starting to focus a lot more on Blair. Now, next week that might all change. But you end up like working with guys that play together. And I've had success with both of those. You know, Blair played drums with me on a Matashahu song that was a hit. Um, you know, there's like things that I've done with different drummers and stuff that, you know, there's, there's a core amount of musicians that I have a certain amount of loyalty. I also believe in relationships are really important. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I try to maintain those relationships and be as respectful, you know, in situations as possible because when you're paying people, Sometimes I don't get paid for three months. And if I've got a relationship with you and I say, look, Scott, I, ca I can't afford to write you a check for $3,000 that I haven't been paid on yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I've got a great relationship with you, you're like, I get it. It's going to be totally cool. It's fine. I'll yeah, wait yeah. three months to get paid when you get paid. Yeah. But if i got some guy, I'm fly-by-nighting and I'm just trying guys out all over the place, I, it doesn't make any sense. I go to a guy I, I, and he's like, I, I, he doesn't know me from Adam. He's like, I may never see another gig from you, so pay me now. So I'm like taking money out my for my family to... Yeah, so there's a rub there, yeah. yeah talk so you, about... You need people that get it. You know, that get the, it. The, yeah, t talk about the reason why you wouldn't have, get, ask a bass player back. Because, you know... Sure. It, it just, it, I you, used to drummer know, once. You know. It wasn't a bass player. I used to drummer <laughs> once, and he'll go unnamed. So I used a drummer once who had begged me maybe a couple of years to, to work, to use him. Yeah. So I finally used him, and it was one of those gigs that um, it was it was a lowish, not a high-paid gig. It was a perfect way to try somebody out. And uh, I had been hired specifically to record rhythm tracks on an already produced track. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is a no-brainer. I can bring in a guy, all of the – Basic production work's been done. Yeah. I can just work with him on copying the parts, basically copying them, um, and you know, just bring a little bit of flair to it. It's a great one to just yeah. really see what this guy can do. So you had the, the, the sort of like the rough track. You just need to sure. give them a polished version back, Yeah, right? so the songwriter slash original producers, there was two of them, come down to the session to hang out while I add the rhythm tracks to it. I don't remember who was playing bass off the top of my head, but it was one of the guys I used, and it was the new drummer. So the new drummer comes in, first time after two years of begging me to play, comes in, plays the song. First of all, he's, he's definitely a over-the-top personality. When we're, when we're not, when we're not so focusing on him, he's practicing. Possibly a little, um, no, not very socially aware. And yeah. I, say, I use that term, I think it's a really important thing, right. I, you know, and, and it's the feeding back into what you were saying. It's just so important to be socially aware in situations where there's groups right. of people working because it's so easy to, you know, just get in the way of a conversation or just be talking about something when somebody's concentrating. It's really, you know, sure. The more socially aware you can be, the better in those situations. Anyway, carry on. No, but, no. You're... So he was, yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things they do, one of the things that he was doing and that the people in that situation do is, is just make it about them. It's like, you know, there's the, there's just an there's a hierarchy. Yeah. You've got the original producer and songwriter of the song here. Then you've got me who's paying him because yeah. I'm getting paid, but I'm choosing him to be yeah, on the yeah. session. And then there's an engineer underneath me, and then there's the assistants and stuff who are, are the least likely to talk. 
Um, and, you know, for him to show off his skills, a musician to show off his skills is to show them off when required to show them off. Yeah. Um, so, number one, practicing all the time while people are trying to – can you – and he's – He's doing this the whole time. He's excuse me, we're trying to we're talking about the baseline. We can't, you know, he's yeah, practicing oh, can away. Oh, you shut the door? I can hear the yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, all that stuff. So you know, yeah. just for instance, you know, you, you you met Greg Saran yesterday, who plays with Joe Walsh and and uh, Don Felder at the moment. So guys from oh, the you Eagles. guys played the, the yeah, Greg yeah. played on the track yesterday. Yeah. And he played with you know, he plays with two of the guys from the Eagles. You know, yeah. Don's no longer in the band, but Joe still is. And he told me that both of them told me with the Eagles, um, I think it was Joe who told them that they have an unwritten law. And it is just everybody abides by it. Nobody makes any noise outside of playing songs. Just that's a fact. Yeah, so these yeah. guys get on stage. So they're on stage in a venue that's 100,000 people. And there's no... It's like the guitar tech tunes the stuff. He goes in there, he checks the amp, everything's done. When they get on stage, when they get on stage, it's just silence until the song. Yeah. You know, somebody else has already it. tuned it up. Somebody's yeah, yeah. already set your tone. You're paying a professional tech probably a six-figure salary a year yeah. to make sure everything yeah. is dialed in. You hire the best guys, yeah. and then you get in, they click it off, and then they play the song. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then when they stop the song or they make a mistake and they stop or whatever, they go, hey, what was the chord there? Should we have gone to the G minor? There's no like, oh, shut up. Can you stop? I'm trying to talk to... They, yeah, they're, yeah, they're professional. Yeah, They've been yeah, doing this for yeah, a long time. Yeah. And they, it's, you know, if you've ever seen the Eagles live, I mean, it's phenomenal. Oh, they're phenomenal, yeah. I mean, the harmonies are real. There's no tapes playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's all about the work. And it's all about the, um, you know, it really is real. And it's because yeah. they're focused and they treat it like a proper profession. Now, I'm not saying you're in a recording situation. And it, you've got maybe, you, you know, it's maybe a little looser. And, yes, it's okay to to interact. And that's part of the process. Make the artists, if it's like a solo singer in there, of course, the best session players make the singer if they're hiring a full band feel like they for that time for those day hours week whatever it might be that those musicians are in the room that singer feels like those players are her band or his band yeah yeah yeah. that's when it's good yeah that you're not hiring like a, a jazz rock guy to come in there and show off all his chops even like a Vinnie Carluto, if we hired Vinnie and I've hired Vinnie he played yeah. in one of Ollie's songs yeah yeah if Vinnie comes in and plays Vinnie's Oh, it requires me to play a ride and a solo and a snare drum, and then I'm going back and going to. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. He's not going to be like. It's not happening. There's no. He's not trying to put his personality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So with the bass player, he's not trying to go. You know, it's like, dude, it's. This is this. The singer has written the song, which is bad. Get the groove with the drama first. Yeah. Yeah, and then develop, add a fill. One of the best analogies I, I ever heard, and unfortunately it's another drama analogy, but I think it applies to all musicians, <laughs> is Steve Jordan. Oh, just phenomenal. So, yeah. So do, anybody, do you know how he records? Have you ever heard his recording process? No, let me just tell everybody. So, the best, if you want to hear Steve Jordan play, obviously he played with like a zillion different artists, but a great one to check him out is John Mayer, the John Mayer trio with Steve Jordan and Pino Palladino. Yeah. Like super, super cool. And Sean played with uh, Steve for yeah, a while. Yeah, and, and Sean played, yeah. And Sean yeah, after Pino. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although Pino, Sean's very humble. He's like, Pino, you know. 
Because I think they're going to make a new record. And yesterday, I think he was telling us, he's like, I think Pino and Steve, Steve are going to come back. Right, and okay, I was yeah. like, oh, it's a bit of a bummer. He's like, first of all, he's done plenty of records with John Mayer, so he's happy. Yeah. And he's like, it's Pino Palladino. I'm not going to be like, oh, my God. You know, it's like, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, like yeah. If, it's that, that was the original trio, wasn't it? Yeah, and it's so, like, yeah. you know, if somebody says you're making a record, but Jacko is alive and going to come down and play a song, you're like, can I just hang out and watch? I'm not going to sweat it. Yeah, yeah you're going to be like, How can dare I just, you hire Jacko over me? <laughs> yes, exactly. I did a Pensado's place thing. I, I told you this. Pensado's place thing the other day, and he does this, uh, the um, what do they call it? The, the batter's box? Yeah, where yeah. they throw something at you. And he went bass and went Jacko. <laughs> I just like reaction was the yeah, first yeah. thing. It's just Drums. like, uh, Steve Jordan, because I was yeah, just yeah. talking about it. But I would have said Bonham normally. Right, okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, How did Steve Jordan record then? So what Steve Jordan does is they, they have the song. So they're, they're playing down the song, and he, he has the click playing, and this is just what a couple of people have told me about his process, is that he, um, he doesn't he, – so they'll, they'll play the song, and be like, you know, count it off, and it'll just be – he'll go literally go, snare. Snare, kick, snare. Get through the song. Maybe just, and then they do the next part, and he'll go, boom, boom. Wow. Third pass, da dum, da dum, dum. And then, like the fourth pass, he plays the song. He spends he spends his whole time making the groove feel absolutely amazing before he even adds more kicks. Really? Yeah. And then maybe the second pass, he's increasing the kick a little bit. Yeah. And the first pass, he's adding a couple of toms, and then maybe the fourth pass. So he's actually the recording them. He's recording yeah. it, but he starts off. He starts off three. It's, it, to me, it's like when you're warming up. You don't go. You go. Three, four, one, two, three, four, one. You know, you'll do like these mind-boggling. Yeah. And Barney Kessel would always say, "Just play when you warm up slowly." You know, it's like you know, the longer you've been doing it. If I spend twenty minutes doing very slow exercises. It, that actually feels like I've been playing for three hours. Yeah. Or yeah. I could play for three hours and think I should have done 20 minutes of slow exercises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he's doing that. He's taking his four passes or whatever number it is, three, whatever it is. But he's basically only getting more and more complicated once he feels secure that he has nailed the feel of the song. So, so he's really th- th- like f- focusing on the development of the groove. Yeah. Groove and feel first. Yeah. Fills whatever. And it's hard, guys, you know, like sometimes you go into a session and you're given a, you know, a chord chart and then you've got, you know, a couple of passes through and that's it, you know, like just pa- passes that there, Warren, that, that chord chart, because that's a great example of something that you'll get. Like this, Dima, can you see this? Which one is the best? This one here. So this, guys, is a very standard, you know, chord chart that you're going to be able, that you're going to get on a, on a session and you've probably got, we did one yesterday, Warren. Yeah. I had po- probably five minutes, probably not five minutes right. to, to look through. Well, we, had listen, we listened down once and then we went and played it. Okay, so we listened down once and then we went and played it and we tracked it a couple of times and that was it. So you need to, if you're going to be working as a session guy, you need to be able to read stuff like this. It's it, There is no excuse. It, there's, yeah, and that's... It's absolutely vital. And this is know. clear... Yeah, this Ish. is a lot better, actually. Clear-ish. Than the one that we worked on yesterday, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Ollie. Um, so, <laughs> Sorry, Ollie, yeah. Um, but the, um, yeah, I mean, this is clear. I mean, you could probably understand here that this, what it's saying is the 2-4 yeah, bar. bar two, so it's just, it's, it's literally just half a bar of B minor. That's and all that means. Yeah, and, and, the, and the, the key thing is when you're looking at something like this, 
is just talking about what um, Warren was talking about, which Steve Jordan was developing his groove and stuff like that. You've got a you've got to play like a developed, great feeling baseline right. over this. The information that you're going you're taking in sure. while you're doing this is super. You know, it's happening right. super fast. You've got to get your skills to a level where you understand this harmonically as well. Yeah. Like I've spoken to you before about, you said one of the most important skills that you work when you're working with musicians and that you look for is that understanding of, you know, it's like it's a one, going to a four, going to, sure. a, going to a five. And you should be able to look at something like this. Or, and if you can't, you should be aiming to look at something like this and think, Oh, right. Okay. It's a two, going to a five, going to a one, and then it's going to a six, but it's a dominant six. Right. Then that's repeated again, two, five, sure. four. So you've got. You know, I can I can look at this and I know exactly what the song's going to sound like without playing the bass. You know, I understand what a two five one six sounds like. Right. You know, da right. do da do. You yeah. know, and 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 in terms of like playing sessions and things like that, it's so it's so fast paced. Right. That you know you've got to have that skill set together to make it sound great. You know, Steve Jordan. You know. Yeah, I mean, you've you've really got. It's not this, just scraping through the actual song. It's not. Oh, I got through it and I no, didn't mess up. It's this so happens much more to me. Than that you know, it's, do, it's I agree. playing a developed part that sounds great. I, it, I'm going to be we were talking about both of us being we're very blunt people and very. You said harsh yesterday. I can be quite harsh as well, but in the nicest possible way. Uh, I, just being honest, people pitch me all the time and say to me, "I'm a really amazing drummer." I'm an incredible bass player. I'm an incredible guitar player. I, I want to come and do a session. And I'm like, you know, I'm fine. I've got my players, whatever kind of thing. Yeah. Well, no, you don't understand. I am an amazing drummer. I'm an amazing bass player. Yeah. And I'm like, you probably are. Yeah, great for you. No, I mean, they probably are yeah, incredible yeah, yeah, musicians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But have they done 25 years of sessions? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I've had, and I've, made this is terrible to say i've made the mistake in my younger years of hiring great musicians that have no recording experience and recording experience you could like you're saying you, you don't actually have to have done a thousand recording sessions to be good at recording yeah you just have to understand the skill set we're talking yeah. about developing your ear understanding sequences and stuff and it's definitely familiarity and yeah. to be and to be honest um you know when i was working with B, billy sheehan Billy's like, I don't know numbers, but yeah, I, but I know yeah. chord sequences. Yeah, yeah. So he knows that F sharp minor D A E, he knows that feeling, and yeah. he knows that in whatever key he knows that's the sixth. He doesn't. He knows that's a really famous chord sequence that he could hear one time through. Can, oh, so it's that chord. Oh, sequence. it's that chord sequence, and he does a very specific thing, Billy, as well, yeah. doesn't he? He's yeah. like, he does his thing. But even Joe Pass, if you ever watched his instructional video, and I, I, I watched it, there's there's. Tons oh, he fam famously sort of like essentially plays by ear, doesn't he? Yeah, and he's yeah. all like, I'm not very good with numbers. I think this is a, and you're just like, this is Joe Pass who yeah. understood how to sonically substitute some of the weirdest chord sequences and like, wait there, you're taking a one and substituting it with a flat five dominant yeah, seventh yeah, yeah. with an Sharp augmented 11. nine. Yeah, 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 and you're yeah, like, yeah. and then you hear him do it and you hear it in context and it makes perfect sense. Yeah. But he heard that, didn't he? He heard it, yeah. yeah. Developed his ears to that. Yeah. And then you watch, watch, ever watch him, and just if you want to understand ear development, watch, like, watch Ella Fitzgerald and Joe Pass live on any YouTube clips. Oh, it's it's ferocious, stuff. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, he's, like, picking up all the melodies she's singing. She's all over the bleeding place doing incredible stuff. He's picking it all up. It's just a guy with six strings and a little Gibson or an Ibanez guitar backing one of the greatest singers that ever lived. Yeah, yeah. Not an orchestra. 
just one guy playing sometimes two to three notes and filling in bass lines and picking up melody and stuff. Yeah, because he's playing bass lines and, and yeah. well, yeah. My yeah, hands yeah. are, look at that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like, it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. Like remember, when, remember when Stanley Jordan came out when we were kids? Oh, yeah. The guy with the yeah, two yeah, hands yeah, stuff. two hands, yeah. It was all great and wonderful and everything. And I, and I was like, oh, yeah, it's really cool. It's a great, you know, it's great. I love it. It does some really cool stuff. Yeah. It's kind of fun. And then, but I, then I say to people, I put on like Joe Pass, like one of his solo albums, and just be like, "Okay, there's Stanley Jordan." Now, that actually sounds like he's doing all of the same things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With yeah. a traditional technique, and it's so much more musical. Yeah, it's a, I think yeah, one's bordering on sport, and one is right. is a, you know in, in music. Yeah, I'm Bo- sure sport. Stan, I like that. Yeah, yeah, one's bordering on sport, and one's you know in the music. Yeah, so. Billy was like that about five strings. He's like, I'm still trying to. And that's get to grips with four. Yeah, yeah, I'm still trying to figure out how to do four. And of course, you watch Billy and listen to Billy Sheehan play. You're just like, dude, oh, right, it's, it's insane, isn't it? Yeah. It's insane. He played. What's he play? One of the Yamahas, isn't he? Yamaha. He does. He has a signature yeah, series yeah. one. Yeah. In terms of, do you know when a session guy turns up? Say, you know. Sean, like I know, but for the guys that don't know, what they're right. bringing with them? Are they bringing one bass? Are they bringing a selection of bases? They bring a selection and usually a nice arsenal. Um, what I would say... Um, and just the, does this, if you haven't worked with a bass player before, does this put you at ease? He yeah. He turns up and he's got a jazz bass, he's got a, a P bass, and there's maybe got a modern day five string. Do you think... Yeah, well, I, th- well, okay. I think if yeah. I didn't know, if I was a bass player and I didn't know the producer and his work or the artist or anything. If you could ask a couple of basic questions, then great. Having said that, if you're afraid of asking dumb questions and appearing like you don't know what you're talking about, then this is what I would suggest. Obviously, turn up with a small combo. Anything (coughs) flip-top-ish is very preferred. Producers love B-15s. They like that simple kind of setup combo. It's about this big. Yeah. They don't, it's great. And what's great about a B15 is it sounds good. It can get a little bit of grit if needed. And frankly, it's quiet. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. If you turn up with an Ampeg 8x10 eight, eight and the only way it sounds good is the SVT's on like 11 and yeah, blowing yeah, up the yeah, thing. Yeah. Bear in mind, not every studio, especially these days, is a wonderfully isolated, incredible place. We put uh, Sean's bass in a cupboard. Yeah. The other side of a live room, and then the other side of it's a hallway is the guitar amp. Now imagine if it was an SVT, it destroyed our guitar amp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was baffled, and you there's need a to door be able to get a great tone within the confines of yeah. sort of like yeah. So if you are going to bring an amp, bring a small combo that sounds good. Yeah. Even Chris Cheney, when I was with him the other day, it was a it was a combo of a twelve inch speaker. Right. Okay. Yeah. We're not yeah. talking like two fifteen he, well, he single. Had, he, he's got a B fifty. He had a B fifteen when yeah. we went around his place. So yeah. 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 So it's a, just a small combo. You know, um, we've got to say, I think it's like a $600 new amp. I think I bought it used for 250 Yeah. I stick a, stick a Lewitt large diaphragm condenser on it, and it sounds amazing. Billy, Billy trapped with that. And, you know, yes, not trying to, I'm not trying to sell any particular manufacturers. Yeah, get Ampegs, get SVTs, get Trocellas, get heart keys, get all that stuff. Fantastic for life. But when you know, you're turning it, you're taking a small combo. Make a, take a small combo. Or a small cabin ahead. Yeah, small yeah. cabinet heads. Nice sometimes to have. Well, the nice thing about the B15 is once you get the speaker extension, you can have, you can have your little bass world. You can put your amp head there, so if you have to adjust the tone, you're not yeah. running in and out all the time. Sure, sure. And also, very importantly, running long-ish speaker runs is not won't de- won't degrade the signal as much as running a super long guitar cable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, if you've got a Klotz or a Megami quality cable, then fine. You know, those those are really high quality cables, and you can run the longer lengths. But most twenty dollar cables 
don't work good over, over about 20 or 30 over, feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. starts to, all the top end disappears. Yeah. So if you can run a longer speaker cable, that's always preferred over a longer guitar cable. Um, and it's also just nice to have the hat, the, the head there. You know, if it's a little combo with a detachable head, like a B15, great. It's just, there it is. You want a bit more bass, boom, done it. And you're still talking yeah, to the yeah. guy. Is that good? You like that? Okay, great. You know. Yeah, yeah. You're self-contained. Um, a lot of bass players bring their own DIs these days. I was going to say about DIs, yeah. You yeah. know, the, 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 one, the one you got, the DMP, I like because you can turn up to a session with that BAE DMP with a, um, it's a mic pre. It's a yeah. 1073 mic pre. So it's yeah. a, you know, it's, it's the most classic famous mic pre ever made. Yeah. So if you're only turning up with that with no bass amp, you give the guy with his laptop or his little DAW or his home setup, which is some of the biggest producers in the world yeah. have small home setups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not all about, you know, I, I, I've interviewed a Huge lot of... Huge consoles. No, it's yeah. not about that anymore. I mean, <laughs> yeah, my, my yeah. friend Dave McCracken, who's very famous in England for doing Ian Brown's side of records, also from Egremont. Yeah. He did Ian Brown, he's done Rihanna, he's done everybody you can think of, makes records with a UAD Apollo and a laptop. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he wow. was over here last year working with an artist and only turned up with that. And then went around different situations. Oh, we want to, rec we want to record an acoustic piano. Comes around, puts up two mics on the acoustic piano, plugs into his little Apollo. Oh, his gear. Yeah. Yeah. And builds and, and records and mixes the record on his laptop. Wow. Now, obviously, he has talent. He has ears. He has acquired knowledge. He's been doing it a long time. Yeah. But that, <clears throat> to people that have been doing this for a while and have developed skill set, that's all they really need. Yeah. So if you turn up with, the DMP or whatever, and you can give somebody a Class A mic pre-signal and say, plug that into your line amp. God bless America. Happy, yeah. So sometimes that's a good thing. But as far as a, a equipment concerns outside of that, I would say definitely a round-wound bass is going to be 90% of your situation. Yeah. Something precisionist-ish, something that sounds like a precision, whether yeah. it be a, a Yamaha copy of a precision or a Yamaha bass like Billy's has oh, a precision. Oh, yeah, pickup. I think, you know, or a precision. when I think about precision, I don't care if he's got Fender on the top. No, I'm just no, like, no. you know, I just want a P-bass pickup and then, you know. My jazz bass is a, jazz bass is a Mexican jazz bass. Exactly, jazz bass is two, two J-pickups. Put a Seymour you know. Duncan pickup on it with a badass bridge, sounds just as good as the five times as expensive one. Yeah, yeah. So Sorry, round, Fender. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, apologies, Fender. But yeah, so round ones are going to do most of this Most stuff. of it. Yeah. But if you can come with something with flats on it because it just gives you other sound. So like Sean yesterday had a, had a number of bases, but primarily it was the round wound bass, a similar bass, like another P bass with flats on it. Yeah. Like a jazz bass is an acquired thing. It's a very, yeah, jazz basses really sound like, you know, yeah. jazz basses. And so maybe, you know, the guy says to you, do you have a jazz bass? Then bring a jazz bass. Maybe you're, you love tinkering with basses. So you've got your Mexican, Mexican precision. You put the badass on it. You put the Seymour Duncans in it or Demarcios yeah. or whatever you yeah. choose to use. And then maybe you drill out and put a jazz bass pickup in there as well. Yeah. In the yeah, back. yeah. Yeah. You get PJ basses, don't we? Yeah. You've got a P bass in the front and then a J bass on the back. So that could be 90% of the time. You just turn up with that Mexican jazz bass that's been souped up with some shallow machine heads. God bless America. It's going to be, yeah, yeah. it's going to sound as good as, you know, the, honestly the 63 whatever you know because it's going to be intonate properly and in tune a lot yeah, of vintage yeah. instruments whether they be guitars like i have a lot of they're old they yeah. have a little idiosyncrasies they've got a few quirks here, yeah they've yeah, got yeah, pickups yeah. that don't have very high output people are like wow that sounds really warm yeah sounds like it doesn't have any output anymore yeah because yeah, the, the magnet's now 50 <laughs> years dead. old yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah, half yeah, the coils aren't yeah, working yeah, you know yeah. sometimes vintage especially in 
you know, audio equipment means not working as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so don't be afraid to have new equipment. You know, yeah. uh, uh, yesterday, Sean played with a, a five-string on a lot of the songs, and it was a brand-new Music Man five-string. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. It looked beautiful as well because I played it. <laughs> yeah, and it's I had great. a little tinker on it. Yeah, and it was really nice. Yeah, yeah, and um, Yamaha make great five strings. Ibanez make great five strings. Yeah, you yeah. know, there's probably certain bases that are specifically designed for heavy metal that maybe have super high active output and stuff like that. Yeah, you that you would bring that to a rock gig. Ninety yeah. percent of the time, a precision will do the job. And if you can have a second base with flats, and then if I was going to have a third base. And Paul Ill talked about this with me, and Paul's a great bass player as well. He goes, I always have the, the oh, you want to try something left of center bass? Yeah. Which could be an EBO. Yeah. Um, like, a, you know, Gibson with the slotted headstock. It a could Starfire be. Starfire type thing. Yeah, yeah Starfire, like Guild Starfire bass. Yeah, EBO sort of like a semi-hollow type Semi-hollow thing. with flats. Gretsch. Thing. A you Hoffner. Know. Yeah, Hoffman. Oh, I love them Hoffners. The yeah, I mean, something that's just it. like, oh, you want something completely off the wall. What about this? Yeah, yeah. Something that has, like, you know, with Sean yesterday, has the, the felt. Yeah, that's what get, I use with the sponge boom, under the bridge, yeah. Boom, boom, just to give it a boom, thumb. Boom, 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 you know. Yeah. And, and maybe you just have a piece of felt available. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you've got your round well, one. I, I think Sean takes that out and in, yeah. you know. He takes it out and in. It, for, for bass players that are, are really wanting to get into the session thing, you know, I know it's changed a lot. Obviously, there's a lot of remote sessions going yep. on now. What would your advice be? I know that's a, a big question, but if you were just to sort of like narrow it down, is it, you know, try and find relationships with engineers or what is it? What would you say? I think it's everything you just mentioned there, like remote, being able to do remote sessions, I actually think would be a really fantastic attribute in this world now. Um, if I was trying to do sessions, you know, and I could do guitar sessions and stuff. I used to do guitar sessions. Um, if I was going to do that again now, I would, I don't know, I'd build myself a really cheap website. I'd probably, to be honest, just start off with a Facebook fan page, yeah. like a generic Facebook fan page. Yeah. I'd put up um, some photos, nicely strategically placed photographs showing that I have good taste, have two or three nice pieces of equipment, yeah. a couple of nice bases, maybe a little home setup with just like a pair of, you know, those powered Yamahas maybe, you know, a lot of guys now, they're the- cheap. Which ones? Well, these are the NS10s, and they've... They, I was going to say, just NS10, Denmark over here that's filming this has just been talking about NS10s this entire time. You're going to send him over the edge one. Anyway, so tell us about these NS10s. Well, no, the, NS, the NS10s are like the old school. For guys like us who have been doing this for 20-plus years, we yeah. grew up seeing these in studios. Now, I'm not trying to sell these new Yamaha speakers, but I've noticed with um, probably about four of the producer and engineers we've... we've and Kenny Anoff, we've interviewed have bought, because they grew up in NS10s, have bought the new powered ones. And those new powered ones, are, I won't say they're cheap, but they're inexpensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, HS7s and HS8s. HS7s and hs And they're hundreds of dollars, not thousands of dollars. Yeah. And they're powered. Yeah. So, you know, so if I'm going to... it easier, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we interviewed Joe Barisi. He has a pair. Like Joe Barisi. When Joe Barisi did Queens of the Stone Age, he's done like... So many major rock yeah. bands, Tool, and I mean, half whatever. His, his resume is insane. Yeah, and he's like the for, for and me. He's I, using them, yeah. Yeah, I call him like Mister Guitar. For me, it's like if I I was just saying to Connor yesterday, I was saying, you know, when how much would be to hire Joe with his studio and all his pedals and all his guitars to just do guitar every day? Yeah, yeah. Just to yeah. go to hang out with him and do guitars all day because yeah, yeah. he's going to be like, oh, you want this guitar? Oh, you, oh, you need it with those pickups? Oh, here it is with those pickups. Oh, yeah, you want that yeah. pedal? Here it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Through this preamp and that yeah. compressor and yeah. that microphone. I mean, his gear collection's the next level, just insane. It's just insane, yeah. 
Yeah, so if I'm going to do guitars and I have no worry about any budget at all, that's the guy I go to. Yeah. I don't think of a better guitar engineer. And I engineer guitars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I engineer you're, guitars. You're a great guitar player, yeah. I'm a great guitar player. I've engineered albums. I've sold lots of records with guitars on it. Yeah. But if you ask me who would be the guy to go and engineer an album playing guitars, go to Joe Parisi. Yeah, yeah. Because not only has he got the ear to engineer as well, he's got the equipment, and not just the equipment I've got. He's got equipment like me he's, and guitars like me. He's got next level. He's like yeah. Guitar Center level of equipment. <laughs> right. It's like going yeah, yeah. It's insane. Guitar Center right here, guys, is it's like a mall, isn't it? Yeah, it's like an acre of land full <laughs> yeah, of gear. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But getting back to, so, so you know, guys getting into the session thing. Um, so I would do that. I would start with it, yeah. yeah. So I'd, start, I'd probably have my free Facebook page, Nice, simple photograph of a pair of nice speakers with, a, with even your laptop open, your gear sitting by it, a little interface, something that says a bit of quality. So a visual representation. Visual that representation. Sort of nice gear that you can record with. And we're talking hundreds of dollars, maybe $1,000 worth of equipment. Yeah. But just choice pieces, personally. That would, if I went to a guy and he sent me a thing and I went and looked at it and I saw a P-Bass or something like that and some nice stuff and, 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 and maybe conversation. Yeah. Conversation about... You know, posting on a fan page. Oh, did you um, did you see Taste? You know, like, uh, hey, I just checked out this uh, Who show from '76 in Canada. Yeah, 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 you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. saw that, and then I saw a thing with Jacko. I saw some conversation, and I saw. I think to myself, oh, this guy gets it. You yeah, know, yeah. He, he, he's posting he owns, good stuff. He's yeah. Yeah, I mean, just you. It's your online. It's your business card. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's your yeah, online business yeah. card. And then I'd have the ability with to, I'd offer up the ability to record remotely. Yeah. On the website. On the website. On the website. You know, please contact me at this email address. You can send me MP3s, WAV files. You know. Should he be sort of like, should that guy or girl be trying to contact people and, and get a, a resume or not resume, but just, you know, some recording experience doing this for people for, yeah. for zero money, obviously, to start with. Well, because, that's the thing. And, but that is not obviously. That's what's so hilarious. Yeah, maybe not, but it is for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's obvious yeah. to you and I. But I get emails all day like, I want to play sessions for you. Not yeah. one of them ever says, I'd really like you to try me on a session. I'll work for free. Yeah. Not yeah. one person's ever said that. Now I'm going to get thousands of them. But, <laughs> but not one person's ever said that within the first line of any sentence ever in the history of anybody ever writing to me. Yeah. I, ever. I, just let me um, backtrack a bit as well. Because I just want to add this. Please in give that, me your experience. Well, that I um, one of my big things um, that I've always focused on, um, especially when I was, you know, starting out, is that I would play for like for anybody, anything. It didn't wasn't it wasn't about de- everybody talks about all this BS about devaluing, you know, all that crap. When you're starting out. You know, it's just about meeting the right people. Right. It's about meeting the meeting the right people and sure. and getting the experience and trying to meet guys like you through you know this right. sort of like wonderful world we we live in and there's yep. all these interconnected you know relationships now. So for me, I just did everything. You know, if somebody phoned me and they was like, "Oh, we've got a gig. It's next, next Friday. You know, it's." It's $20 maybe. It's just door right. money. You know, are you up for it? I'm just like, yeah. Yeah, right. because, you know, I'm going to go do it and, you know, I'll meet some great players. And all, all the players that I've met, you know, that I'm friends with now, I've generally met through doing, you know, just, you know, down and dirty gigs right. and meeting in a guy that knows another sure. guy. And then that leads to a tour or right. a, a date or, you know. Yeah, because I, mean, I know, yeah, there's, there's always that 
the, the argument, and, and you'll have seen it online, should sure. you play for free? You know, and right. it's obviously, you know, there's a lot of conversation about devaluing the art right. and taking jobs from people. And that, for me, is a... I'm not, I'm not focusing on that. That's not my conversation right now. What I'm mm. saying to people is, you know, don't sort of be so focused on the financial of it to start with. Just, I agree. Just, you know, get your damn foot in the door and work mm. with guys and because it always leads to something else. Yeah. Especially if you're socially aware because, and especially if you I can think take also, care of business as well, you know. And yeah, I was about to say, I also think have a big skill set. Yeah. That's why I think being able to record yourself well is part of your skill set now. I think you kind of have to do that, to be honest. You've got to understand it, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, it's rock and roll is, um, yeah, it's great. Rock and roll, jazz, funk, blues, those are all the things that require real yeah. instruments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they aren't the biggest form of music in the world. The biggest form of music in the world is like the Taylor Swift pop. That, sure, sure. That, what we all jokingly call laptop production. I mean, yeah, it just, yeah. it's just that is what it's is the biggest thing in the world. Yeah. That's the only thing that record labels even sign or care about anymore yeah. is huge pop artists that they can monetize and make a living from. Yeah, because it's the, it's the way the business is. Yeah. yeah. There's like, you sign a cool indie rock band that, if a cool indie rock band that sold 70,000 records worldwide, it's going to be one of the biggest indie bands in the world. Yeah, yeah. But $70,000 for, you know, mega records, mega conglomerate, conglomerate records yeah, is yeah, not yeah, going to pay yeah. the lease on their building or their you know or their ferraris or whatever so the yeah, point yeah, is yeah. is like they need to sign and deal with the taylor swifts and the rihannas and the beyonce's and and that's that's fine that's that is a huge part of our entertainment industry but for people that are concentrating purely and simply on wanting to make you know quote unquote real or organic music yeah you've got to be flexible because if you're going to do the bass session you can't if somebody says to you, yeah, you know, I'd really like to hear your bass playing, and you're like, okay, cool. Well, my friend John is a studio, and I can go to him, and he's 50 bucks an hour, and then the engineer's $15 now. We can get a deal uh, on yeah, it. Yeah, you're saying that and to I me. Want, I'm already phoning somebody else. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah and, I, and, and I need to get 50 bucks, and oh, I want $100 a song, which is reasonable. You know, yeah. $50, $100 a song for beginning guys is reasonable. Um, you know, and I think it's doable and, and should be charged. But if you're suddenly $250 a song and you're trying to make your that, – that's yeah, doable. Yeah. I've got guys with resumes who do that. Yeah, yeah. I've got guys that have played on records that we've all heard of, everybody watching has heard of, that will play for 250 bucks a song yeah. when they know it's 10 songs. Yeah, because it makes it worthwhile. Yeah. And, yeah. Like, how do you adapt to the situation? You know, it's difficult. Um People ask me questions all the time, like, should I do this session or not? And I just go, okay, does it pay really well? No. Okay, are there, who's, who, who's it for? Oh, it's for somebody who has a lot of influence. Why are they hiring you? Oh, they're hiring me because, you know, they like what I do. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, then yeah. it's a foot in the door. Are they hiring you because it's a throwaway session and they don't care about, you know what I mean? You just, it's about learning. We were talking about this, and I like to use this. It's called learning to read the room. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. same deal, but so, yeah. yeah, but it's a, like a bigger, yeah, and, a bigger room, right? Yeah, it's a bigger room, and sometimes, sometimes part of the experience is to kind of get screwed over a few times to understand. And I've yeah, been you can't get through it without getting screwed. Yeah, over. so yeah. just ha develop a little bit of a thick skin because I've done sessions as a guitar player where. Um, 
you know, a guy has a D minor thing and he's going D minor, D minor, D minor, C, D minor. And then he's like, you know, with a beat going, and he's what do you think? And I'm like, oh, I would do this. And I start adding like a guitar riff. And then I go, oh, we should go to an F here. And we go to an F. And we yeah, go to G. Yeah. And then why don't we do this break? We go to the B flat and we do this and we do that. And then, oh, I've got this great melody line. And I've suddenly like written this song with it. Yeah, half the song, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then I get my $100 session fee as a guitar player. And then the next thing is it's a single. And I won't say who the artist was. It's a single for a big artist. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. So you it's, know, yeah, it's one of those things, yeah. It's almost like you have to... You know, I'd get hired as all the time to engineer records and end up producing them. Yeah. Now, you know, and just div- giving the guitar player all the parts and help write the songs and arrange them, and I'm the engineer, and I got credit to engineer. I'll be honest and be blunt. I've done that many times. Now, the thing is, is like, are you fine with being that person? Are you fine with going in there and just swinging for the fences all the time? Yeah. You have to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. You have to be. It's like we were just talking about earlier about business stuff. I yeah, just yeah. go in it like I trust you implicitly up until the point that I can't anymore, that you yeah, give me yeah. reason not to. Yeah, yeah. Because that's the only reason why I want to do business. I'm working with an artist at the moment. I have put so much of my heart and soul into it and put so much into it. And then suddenly they're second-guessing things. And it just goes like, okay, I'll take all of that energy and I'll put it into something else. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I just always go into it full throttle. And, and then... I, yeah, and basically just keep your eyes open and just, yeah. yeah. I just think you have to. If you try to control it and guard it and this and that and whatever, you're also not going to give your best. Yeah. And if you are going into you can be it... focused on the wrong things. Right? Yeah, if you're going into it as a bass player and you have this amazing idea for a drum part and you're like, well, I'm only being hired as a bass player. I'm not going to help the drummer improve his bar- <laughs> bass part. Yeah, yeah, you know what? Yeah. You might not get hired again. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, maybe you are going to kind of help produce the track a little bit by changing the groove up and stuff. But then you know what? I might hire you again because I'm like, I like that guy. He brought this really cool idea into it. This guy's smart. He's got some good ideas. I'm going to hire him again. As opposed to the guy that's just kind of sitting there going, what do we call in England? Jobsworth? Yeah, Jobsworth. You don't want to be a Jobsworth. You don't want to be like, I'm only paid to do this. You want to be the most helpful guy in the room. Yeah. To a certain point. Yeah, to know, a certain yeah. point. You don't want to interject your... Because sometimes... <laughs> you every, don't want to interject when it's not needed. Every yeah, single yeah. idea, it's like, it's like, understand your place. But when there, is a, when there is opportunity to be creative and give input, give input and be creative. Do it. Do it. Yeah. Warren, you've been an absolute star. Thank you. If you want to check out Warren's channel, Produce Like a Pro, it is super, super epic. And as we've been talking about throughout this um, this interview, it's really important that you do understand, you know, the production skills. You know, you don't have to be, you know, a, a crazy engineer, but it, it's it's uh, it's so beneficial to have a, a basic skill set, under, understand, you know, how compression works on a bass at least. And, sure. You know, ha- how to record your bass DIs and amps and, right. you know, it might help you, you know, understand sort of like which mics to use and just some sort of like basic information so you're educating yourself and, you yeah. know, and you can improve your own skill set. So go over to Orange channel. There's a ton of stuff on there. Produce like a pro on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe. And just want to say massive thanks, Warren, for being a star. And thanks, Ben. Awesome tang with as always. Great Take to see you. Yeah. Thanks a lot, mate. See you later, guys. Thanks. Bye bye. Wow. Okay, that was awesome. I just want to say a massive thanks to Warren for being such a star. Um, absolutely loved hanging out with him that day, and think you know just the information that he was sharing in this episode was it would have made made a real huge difference to me when I was getting into this. It really would have. I've had to kind of 
as many of us have, we've kind of learned as we've gone along, you know, and I think with, you know, online learning now and, and the world that we live in with the internet, it's a lot easier to pick up these tips and man, I wish I could have picked up some of these tips years ago. So huge thanks to you, Warren, for just being such a cool guy. And again, if you want to find him, you can go to his website, which is warrenhewitt.com or producelikeapro.com. He's got a YouTube channel, all the shenanigans. And what I'll do is I'll put links to all of these on the podcast page on scottsbasslessons.com. So if you want to go to that, it's scottsbasslessons.com forward slash episode Five. Okay, again, scottsbasslessons.com forward slash episode five. If you're new to this podcast, guys, make sure you go and check out the other episodes that we've just released. This is episode five, obviously, but it, last week we had Chris Cheney. The week before that, who did we have the week before that? I can't remember. Then we've had Nick West. We've had um, Ricky Minor. I'm missing somebody out. I'm, get, I'm, going, I'm going to get in trouble, guys. Uh, but yeah, go check them out. Just go over to scottsbasslessons.com forward slash podcast. Let me just check that now, actually. I'm online. I've got the uh, everything open up in front of me. Yeah, it's scottsbasslessons.com forward slash podcast, and that will take you through so you can check out all of the, the different episodes. And it was Hadrian Farrow as well. That's who we've got a... Uh, that was the episode that I was missing out. So go check them out. They're really, really cool. And... If you Again, if you're new to Scott's Bass Lessons, you can go to scottsbasslessons.com forward slash toolkit and you'll be able to download a heap load of cool goodies that I've put together for you, like a bass buyer's guide and a... I've done a gig on how to get gigs wherever you are in the world. I've done a, a few videos on discovering the modes and how to get your head around them because I know that they can be very confusing. A whole ton of stuff. So go to, if you want to check that out, it's totally free, scottsbasslessons.com forward slash toolkit. And other than that, go check out the Academy. Maybe I'll see you in there. There's a 14-day trial. It's super cool. And if you do, give me a shout. I'd love to give you a virtual high five. Thanks again for listening today, guys. Next week, we have got another amazing guest and somebody who I've been checking out for years, the godfather of gospel, Mr. Andrew Goucher. So Andrew Goucher has played with tons of people. What can I say? He's been um, musical director for Shaka Khan. Um, he was recently playing with Prince. I think he finished that gig last year. He's just played with everybody. Great, great player, but just a huge, huge, just super cool human being as well. Other than that, take it easy and I'll see you in the shed. Mm-hmm.